Oh yeah, the other thing I've been doing this summer is uh, beating my <coughs> Dutch relatives on um, on 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 word feud. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, oh, not, not with sticks. Just beating them <laughs> <laughs> on 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 word feud. You know, Scrabble. In Dutch. So, yeah, in Dutch. It's Friday, August the 25th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands, and there's been quite a lot going on over the summer. Yeah, too much, Far to be honest. Much, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, supposed to be comitite, but no, uh, the compromise are revolting. <laughs> I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News contributing editor and gender-bending panda watcher, and I'm joined as ever by Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and aviation disaster tourist. Gender-bending what? Panda Watcher. This okay. is really just me trying to shoehorn an extra story into the podcast about <laughs> the fact that uh, the uh, the only panda born in Dutch zoos is being sent back to China. Aww. Not because of Dylan Yusilgas' uh, new tough immigration <laughs> laws, but just because uh, I think that was the deal when uh, they, they uh, imported the giant pandas from China um, to, to try and get them to breed. They did successfully breed in Wainan Zoo. They gave birth to a, a lovely little cute cub called Fan Qing, who interestingly um, was first thought uh, to be uh, a male, but then on closer oh, inspection yeah. turned out to be female. Oh, yeah. That's right, I remember that, yes. Apparently, it's notoriously difficult to determine the sex of a panda. Mm. uh, And it's also notoriously difficult for pandas to have sex. Indeed, uh, yeah. I think that's just... uh, That's because uh, male pandas uh, tend to be kind of short on uh, the necessary equipment. But... um, Ah, yeah. Literally short. (laughs) Yes, Yes. exactly. So, anyway... Um, yeah, so so she is now going to um, uh, go to China under the terms of the agreement that was signed between the China Wildlife Conservation Association and the uh, owners of Reina Zoo. Uh, but her parents will remain in the Netherlands uh, in the hope that they will manage to breed again. So, and also for a limited time, right? Or they can be uh, yeah. returned to China at any uh, at any given time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you for this uh, uh, panda update. Yeah. Um, I am an aviation disaster tourist, and I think that refers to uh, the plane of uh, Prigozhin. It does. Well, it refers uh, to two stories, but you censored one of them. Um, and that's the other right. One is, <laughs> the other one is... We will opinion. not talk about that, because that will that take we, way we, too much time. We had to talk about it before the podcast, and um, yeah, you. Uh, I don't want you to have to go into therapy again, so uh, we'll, just, uh, we'll stick to uh, Prigozhin, who is the more uh, savory of the two characters who are involved in aviation. <laughs> Disasters this uh, you know, this week. That's um, right. Uh, yeah, people won't know what, what on earth we're talking about. But um, uh, anyway, never mind. Yeah, Evgeny Prigozhin, his uh, <coughs> who, who led a mutiny uh, just as um, uh, two months ago. I, I think Evgeny Prigozhin must have heard my call at the end of the last podcast uh, that I wanted to um, do something violent to Mark Rutter. Um, for ah. bringing down his cabinet, um, uh, and uh, yeah, he obviously was so enraged by the way uh, Greta had pulled the plug on the Dutch government that he went and uh, launched a mutiny on Moscow um, and uh, briefly threatened to overthrow Vladimir Putin. Uh, but once he calmed down from that and decided that uh, uh, actually it's probably just as well, uh, he, he probably actually uh, decided it was just as well that Days and Zestich were no longer in the government. He calmed down. He withdrew his troops, uh, and then the question was what would happen to him next. Um, uh, and it turned out uh, last uh, this week, exactly two months after the march on Moscow, uh, we got the answer, which was that yeah. uh, he went down. He was shot down in flames, quite literally. 
Yes, um, and the Russians uh, seem to, uh, you know, their their uh, preferred way of uh, getting rid of uh, uh, annoying people is, of course, by throwing them out of the window. But or poisoning uh, they, them. Yeah. Or poisoning them, but they also seem to uh, uh, be keen on uh, shooting down planes. Um, this time, uh, right uh, round Putin's Dutch, I think. Yes, uh, which, very, very uh, clear, close to his coastal summer residence. Yeah, yeah which uh, which has also played a major role in Dutch politics uh, uh, recently. Um, is this the um, uh, is this a Halvika Zalstra scandal? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many Dutchas Putin has, but uh, yeah, that was uh, a, a, a new foreign minister uh, who claimed to uh, have been present at Putin's Dutcha, overhearing him quite interestingly um, uh, discussing plans. To invade neighboring countries to re-establish uh, the Soviet uh, sphere of interests, yeah. uh, which uh, now come to think of it, we should have listened. <laughs> well, this is the thing: it turns <laughs> out Hamza Zalstra was, was, was <laughs> yeah, Hamza had to resign over this because he wasn't yeah. in the room, as it, which is he said he was in the room when Putin started talking about how he wanted to take back uh, or at least have control over Belarus and Ukraine and various other former Soviet satellite states. Um, Zalstra wasn't in the room; he'd had this heard this story at second hand from the boss of Shell. The boss of Shell dumped him in it because Shell quite liked doing business in Russia. Yeah. Uh, so fast forward to three or four years, it turns out that Zylstar actually resigned over a story that was basically true. The yeah. only thing that he'd exaggerated was his own role in it. But uh, Putin yeah. had basically spoken openly about how he quite liked to have Ukraine and other countries back. Um, and yeah, as you say, uh, it may have been worth uh, listening more to Zylstar and less to the boss of Shell. Yeah. But we only and, know that uh, speaking of- hindsight is a wonderful thing. And speaking of Dutch companies uh, uh, liking doing business in Russia, I just got a push message uh, from the NOS saying that uh, Heineken is withdrawing their operations in uh, Russia and they have sold all their assets for uh, one euro, which in my honest opinion is way too much for exactly. anything Heineken yeah. related. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would not pay uh, even a cent for uh, anything produced by Heineken. So Yes, uh, luckily... Luckily, Molly is no longer uh, part of the podcast team. Otherwise, we would have had a minute-long rant about yeah. uh, the bad quality of Heineken beer. <laughs> All right. Um, let's uh, move on to the OPEF of uh, the week, I think, which I'm skillfully uh, avoiding the real OPEF, though, because I'm just cherry-picking another OPEF we had uh, during the summer. Uh, in Amersfoort, uh, there is a, uh, in the local museum, there's a uh, exhibition uh, going on called Art and the Zoo. Mm. And the local museum has installed a massive statue of a standing polar bear at the entrance uh, as a part of that. No problems until now, but every three minutes, the statue urinates into the canal during the day, but also at night. Mm. And neighbors uh, soon started to complain about the noise, which caused them sleepless nights. And after a few days of discussion, the museum finally agreed to pause the uh, Hufter Eisbeer, as it's <laughs> called. Uh, <laughs> well, I think we've already won, got a winner for the uh, Word of the Year contest, haven't we? I think so as well, <laughs> yeah. It's a great word. Um, the Hufter Eisbeer's urine stream uh, is uh, shut down at night uh, from midnight to 7 a.m., and the uh, typical uh, komkommer story uh, also got international attention. Several British newspapers run the story and they used a photo from Dutch news articles, mm. from a article of Dutch news, uh, which happened to be made by me. Yes. <laughs> because so. I was visiting Amersfoort somewhere in the summer and I stumbled upon this huge 
enormous statue of, yeah. of a polar bear and i thought he was constantly urinating but it was turned out to be only a temporary thing right i thought it was like um uh how do you call it in english the monica piss in in brussels oh yeah the um no, no, i think we just call them the monica piss actually okay just yeah. the dutch uh, the yeah. dutch word uh, yeah. yeah or the flemish word i have to say yeah uh, flemish name um yeah that is a constant stream i thought it was a constant stream i didn't no. uh, stand too long uh, f- uh in front of the canal to notice that it was uh, a temporary thing yeah um yeah and people are presumably annoyed because uh, when they were woken up by the polar bear urinating in the middle of the night they immediately also had to go up and uh, go to the toilet themselves <laughs> right because that, that's what happens when you hear water, when you hear flowing water yeah 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 and i managed to make uh, quite uh, quite a lot of money from that photo so oh. uh, i'm happy with that so you, so you made quite a splash yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Like laughs> well done so this week we ask if there's anyone left in the Trader Kama after the collapse of the government triggered a wave of resignations. There are still three months to go to the election, but the main parties have all chosen their leaders for what's set to be a volatile contest. No one seems particularly bothered that the economy is in recession. There's a sad last dance for the Janssen vaccine. And we've got a wartime resistance story to keep you on your toes, which is something the Netherlands top athletes famously failed to do this week. Yeah, where do we start? Uh, because as you probably remember, Prime Minister Mark Rutte brutally interrupted our summer break by announcing he won't stand for re-election on November 22nd and depart from Dutch politics. I just, um, I, I'm still sharpening my bicycle key, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, he, um, uh, I mean, we really finished, uh, we published the episode and, and a few hours yeah. after that he announced that uh, the cabinet was, uh, yeah, you know, was collapsed and um, yeah, luckily we waited a couple of days we, we, we had, you know, we couldn't record immediately and on Tuesday I think the uh, Tweede Kamer returned from recess and he announced uh, that he was not going to stand for re-election and uh, luckily we hadn't uh, uh, rec- recorded uh, an, 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 an emergency episode already because otherwise we would have re- would have needed to record the second, one. second emergency episode yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes so um yeah uh, 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 thanks to our uh, bad scheduling yeah, exactly. uh, skills yeah, thanks um, to our disorganization yeah. actually everything turned out okay rutte's announcement set in motion and yeah enormous avalanche of retirements and departures of other politicians big and small and that opened the door for backbenchers to take center stage and some others to return to the hague and we can easily fill the hour with discussing uh, yeah, the political exodus we've seen during the summer. For some reason, all departures were accompanied by an extremely lengthy letter uh, in the Calibri font, mm. uh, which I stopped reading after, I think, the, uh, the fifth resignation. Um, but yeah, let's uh, dive into uh, yeah, some of the uh, major political parties and see what yeah. has happened uh, there yeah. during the summer. But just before we do that, were there any of the sort of more unsung resignations that caught your eye, Paul? So, yeah, yeah, I think my um, my major disappointment is the resignation of Lucille Werner. Yes, I was going to mention uh, Lucille Werner. CDA yeah. MP, yeah. who was uh, a TV presenter first of the, um, yeah, uh, 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 not praised enough uh, TV show Lingo. I think all uh, Dutch, I think all foreigners learning Dutch will have watched lo- a lot of Lingo on YouTube. So they probably know who Lucille Werner is. So yes, yeah. uh, yeah. So, so she uh, she resigned. Unfortunately, uh, I don't think she has accompl- 
accomplished a lot in yeah. the past two years, but uh, still, I'm uh, I'm sad uh, that she is uh, she's uh, leaving politics. Yeah, I'm disappointed she didn't just uh, give her resignation in the form of a six-letter word as well, <laughs> so like ik stop or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she's the word expert, so she should have yeah. found... Uh, I mean, you are a word expert too, because you are uh, very uh, uh, active and, um, in Dutch I'm word feed right now. I'm destroying my Dutch family on word yeah, feed, so and it's uh, yeah, very enjoyable. But we'll let, let's all not get into to, that. It's all thanks to Lingo. <laughs> all thanks to Lingo, yeah. So it's so, a so personal thanks to Lucille for uh, the fact that I can now humiliate my relatives, on my Dutch relatives, on, on online word games. Yeah, let's start with the VVD. That's, uh, of course, the uh, political party of uh, caretaker Prime Minister Mark Rutte, we have to say, Mm. uh, because he has offered his resignation. So he's now officially in uh, his cabinet is now in demissionary state, as uh, the Dutch word is. But we uh, try to avoid that word in English Uh, (laughs) for obvious reasons. Demissionaire, that's a nice word for word feud next time you are. It's uh, quite long. Quite long, but, you know, I think it will... uh, gain you a lot of uh, points. Um, Mark Rutte has led, of course, uh, the VVD party for 17 years, 13 of which as Prime Minister of the Netherlands. Uh, Many people felt his expiration date was, uh, you know, has already passed or was coming uh, coming close, but uh, his his departure did come as a shock, uh, especially because there was no clear successor uh, to lead the VVD. Um, and yeah, the party wasted no time. They skipped over a long and possibly damaging leadership election. They have some experience with that, of course. Mm. And uh, the leadership just decided to uh, name Justice Minister Dylan Yesogus as their new uh, party leader. And um, she will become. Uh, she's also the uh, the prime minister candidate for the VVD in case uh, the party becomes the largest again in the election. Yeah. Um, and they were the first party, I think, to name uh, a, a leader for their list of candidates, or the first of the main parties, certainly, weren't they? So, yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah, a lot of parties we already, you know, had a clear um, uh, expectation on who was going to lead it, but I think she was indeed the first uh, one to be officially named uh, yeah. a party leader. Yes. Yeah. Apart from the PFF, they had an election of all their members, and they decided that that one member, Geert Wilders, should continue as leader. Right. It wasn't a long, uh, a long meeting. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, soon over. The PVV, the uh, far right uh, uh, PVV party of Geert Wilders, uh, is not, isn't even a political party. No. Uh, it has one member, and that is Geert Wilders himself. Uh, yeah, Dylan Jesogus also um, caused some ophef because Mark Rutte in the past uh, 10 years or so famously uh, refused to cooperate with the PVV and even, uh, you know, consider them as a, uh, a potential coalition partner because of uh, some bad experiences as he had uh, in his first cabinet when uh, he was uh, relying on uh, parliamentary support by the PVV. They weren't uh, technically uh, part of the coalition, but they uh, promised to support them. Um, and uh, it, at some point, uh, according to the VVD spin, uh, at a uh, meeting uh, discussing uh, some new 
budget cuts, uh, Geert Wilders walked away, hmm. and uh, 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 which led to the collapse of uh, Makrutte's first cabinet. And uh, ever since that, he uh, Makrutte refused to uh, to uh, consider the PVV as a uh, coalition partner. Uh, Dylan Yesogus has uh, shifted a little bit on, uh, in in that regard. She has said that, uh, especially on the topic of immigration, which is the topic the cabinet fell uh, on. Uh, she uh, she said she leaves the door open for the PVV, um, and that uh, yeah is a is a clear shift from uh, from uh, Mark Rutte's leadership. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so she's opened uh, the door basically to the PVV as a coalition partner or at least a supporting partner. Yeah, once again, at least a supporting partner. Yeah. Yes, she hasn't said the coalition partner, but uh, yeah, yeah uh, um, she hasn't ruled them out. Um, so there could be some that, kind of deal uh, depending yeah. on the outcome of the election with Hitwilders' uh, party. Yeah. Indeed. Um, yeah, we just said that the PVV doesn't have members. And that's interesting because if you are a coalition partner, you uh, name people from your part, party as a minister. Mm. Um, but yeah, they don't have any part, a party members. So how are you going to do that? I am wondering right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. I think the feeling is that that's a big part of the reason why they didn't go for, uh, opt for a formal coalition last time. I mean, Wilder sort of said, we're a young party. We're not ready. Um, we don't have the people. Uh, for it, but this time he doesn't really have that excuse. I mean, he's been going for nearly 20 years um, yeah. and still hasn't got round to uh, setting up a proper membership structure. But anyway, yeah. I digress. Yeah. So, but yeah, but it depends on the outcome of the election, of course, that's very unpredictable. Um, anyway, yes. Moving on to uh, D66, the uh, second largest uh, coalition partner, uh, soon after Rutte announces departure, Finance Minister and Vice Prime Minister Sigrid Kaag also said she wouldn't stand for re-election and leave Dutch politics. She named the impact the endless stream of online hate and death threats uh, has on her family as one of the main reasons. Um, we remember that she was visited once at home by a man carrying a torch, a burning torch, which he broadcasted live on Facebook, a very threatening situation, of course, and uh, caused a lot of uh, uh, outrage, understandably. And recently her daughter said in a TV program uh, called Collegia Tour that they feared for their mother's life, uh, partly because of that incident. Um, however, Sigrid's car leadership was quite disappointing, though. Uh, currently, the uh, Deze Sester is polled to uh, be halved. Uh, in ter- in, at in least, I think. I think it's at least, suggesting yes. worse, yeah. Uh, in terms of seats, uh, and she hasn't quite delivered on her promise of the new administrative culture. Yeah, and Deza Zestek, I think, took the hit uh, a lot um, uh, for uh, in the last couple of years over the um, the whole farming and uh, environment issue, right? The, 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 their spokesman on the environment uh, or on agriculture, sorry, uh, Tieter Groot, was seen as was very much seen as the bad, cast the bad guy because he wanted to halve the uh, size of the cattle, national cattle herd. Um, and uh, yeah. incurred a lot of yeah, uh, uh, a lot of the wrath of the farmers. And I think Desert Zestas were specifically targeted during the provincial elections, um, as uh, it was all about uh, getting Desert Zestas out. And the Baby Bay campaign uh, was very much uh, suggested that it was all, uh, all all of the measures to uh, reduce um, uh, scale down farming uh, were all being driven by Desert Zestas. When actually it was uh, the, 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 the um, a response to uh, a judgment by the Council of State. But anyway, they, they've clearly suffered in yeah. the polls, I think, because of that. Uh, 
D66 did decide to hold a leadership election, uh, but there was only one serious contender, um, of course, Climate and Energy Minister Rob Jette. He won 93% of the votes, uh, so quite a uh, Stalinistic percentage. <laughs> yeah. Not as impressive as Sigrid Kaag the last time. She won with 96%, but still it is uh, something um, yeah, certain communist leaders would be uh, jealous <laughs> of. Yeah. Um, he is, interestingly enough, the climate minister, and he managed to uh, have the new climate bill accepted in the Tweede Kamer, a major step towards uh, combating climate change and CO2 emissions. Uh, but D66 is not capitalizing on that. Uh, you think uh, the voters of D66 would be quite happy and pleased about that, but apparently they are not because, yeah, as we already said, they are currently projected to be halved, uh, at least halved um, right now. And also because of this law and also the the, 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 the nitrogen uh, policies of the cabinet, um, a lot of favor day voters uh, feel that this coalition is um, executing, carrying out D66 agenda Mm. Uh, but apparently the D66 voters do not feel the same way uh, interestingly enough yeah there was more D66 news. Um, MP and Tweede Kamer Chair Vera Bergkamp also announced her departure. She has recently uh, come under fire for her handling of an investigation into anonymous allegations of the popular former chairwoman Kadisha Arib's treatment of politi- parliamentary staff. Arib resigned from parliament after the investigation was launched, calling it a political stab in the back by Bergkamp. That uh, soap opera is still hasn't concluded yet. We're still... Uh, right in the middle of it, actually. Uh, Arip was a guest on the uh, popular summer TV show uh, uh, Zomergasten, yes. where she uh, also um, yeah, reiterated her um, accusation regarding uh, Bergkamp. Um, but this does mean now, you know, Arip is gone, Bergkamp is gone. That means that the race for the chairmanship of the Tweede Kamer is wide open. Uh, we just mentioned the PVV, the uh, most experienced um, deputy chair is Martin Bosma, a PVV MP. Yep. He is, uh, I think, wildly um, uh, uh, praised for, uh, you know, when he when he takes the seat of the chair, he is uh, he 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 he, uh, he leads debates in a in a good way, in a uh, hum- humoristic way. Um, however, he is. Of the PVV, and a lot of people don't see that as a um, uh, yeah uh, as a qualified party to represent the Tweede Kamer, also abroad, for example, or um, to uh, to society. So, um, but it might be his chance to uh, to become the new uh, 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 Tweede Kamer chair. Who knows? Yes. Moving on to uh, CDA, the uh, sick old man of the coalition. Um, Soon after Rutte's uh, departure, both Housing Minister Hugo de Jonge and Foreign Affairs Minister Wopke Hoekstra said they will not lead the party into the next election and they will not take place on the Christian Democrats party list. CDA has named the relatively unknown backbencher Henry Boltenbal as its new leader. The atheist physicist from Rotterdam and climate expert is somewhat of a atypical person to lead the <laughs> Christian Democrats. Uh, and he has quite a tough job ahead because yeah, the party... I hadn't, I hadn't uh, picked, up, picked up on detail. He's, he's an atheist, uh, which uh, yeah, an yeah. atheist leading the Christian Democrats is uh, quite yeah, interesting, quite, isn't quite, it? It is uh, an interesting twist. 
Yeah, and he's also. I mean, he he does seem to have uh, been making a real effort to raise his profile. He's, um, you know, we've seen, we've seen a lot of. I see a lot of campaign videos on, um, uh, on 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 television for the CDR with with him prominently in the middle, literally in the middle, because he's there's one where he's standing in the centre of a football field, on yeah. the centre spot, and then for some reason at the end he walks off to the left. Okay, he, he, he's a basic <laughs> thing about I am Henry Bontebal, I'm the man in the middle, and then he wanders off to the left. So I don't know what that's supposed to say, but anyway. Hmm. 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 Uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, and what was it? Which stadium was it? Oh, I know it. It was in Spakenburg. The uh, oh, was it? Who has recently uh, had a lot club. of success, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, they reached the semi-finals of the cup last year. Now, I also think that the centre circle is the point on the football field where you're furthest away from the goals. Which perhaps, yeah. <laughs> which is another slightly unfortunate uh, commentary on the CDA's current state, right? Because they're they're not doing very yeah. well in the poll in the polls. No, not at all. <laughs> no, they they currently have uh, they currently have uh, fifteen seats. Um, it used yeah. to have easily over forty seats, right? Um, yeah. That time is over, uh, and they are projected to be decimated in the next election. Only single digit uh, seats they can expect. Most voters, of course, moved to the Boerburgbeweging, uh, which can be regarded as a CDA splinter party, uh, as well as to uh, the new party of Pieter Omtzigt, which we will talk about later. Yeah, and of course, um, Henry Bontebal is an interesting detail. He first got into Parliament because he stood in for Pieter Omtzigt while he was on sick leave. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. So mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot of lot of symbolism here. Yeah. Uh, um, Bontebal's appointment uh, didn't go without bumps because, of course, we're talking about the CDA. Uh, the party chair resigned, uh, and the popular former junior minister Mona Kaiser gave up her party membership in the lead up to his appointment. So, yeah, it's uh, he has a quite a tough job to 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 uh, ahead of him, but. On the other hand, he can't do much worse than they already are yeah, now. So. Yeah, that's true. And uh, it's only it's only up, uh, downhill from now. Yeah, uphill, he, he can, he can only exceed that. expectations, really. Yeah, indeed. The expectations are so low. Um, and earlier this week, it was announced that Wopke Hoekstra, who disappointedly led the party since 2021, will be nominated as Frans Timmermans' successor as the Dutch European Commissioner. Right. Which uh, the CDA, uh, uh, um, which which the CDA uh, social media team uh, described as European Commissioner in Europe. <laughs> right. Which as was opposed a little to bit double. what? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that uh, you would think uh, might uh, have raised a few uh, eyebrows, uh, particularly in uh, the, uh, in Spain initially, given uh, Hoekstra's uh, the, the, the fallout from Hoekstra suggesting during the pandemic that uh, it was their own fault they didn't have enough money to uh, to, 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 to to pay for the uh, after the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. Right. Yes, but yeah. at least he didn't suggest they had spent it all on wine and women. So, no. So, yeah, it could be worse. No, but he did say that Brussels should investigate their financial situation at a moment when thousands of Italians and Spanish people were dying from coronavirus. And Yes. Is this really the best timing to, to get rid of the foreign affairs minister? Um yeah, I don't yeah, think that's the, the other thing. Yeah, in great. the middle of a war in Ukraine, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you now have, we now have to replace our caretaker foreign affairs minister with a, with another caretaker foreign yeah. affairs minister. Yeah, yeah, and the and the junior caretaker foreign affairs minister is uh, going on maternity leave soon. Ah. So uh, yeah, we won't have. Uh, yeah, we have a foreign affairs ministry without a le- proper leadership. Yeah, and it has uh, to be a Christian Democrat, of course, because the, the rule is that the the, the same party gets to re- choose the replacement, and there's hardly anyone left in the CDR now. So. You know, I'm expecting oh. a call any day soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm worried that they will uh, 
bring Maxim uh, Verhagen back to uh, to mm. the Hague, uh, which uh, yeah, it's uh, something we can do without. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, speaking of Brussels and uh, Frans Timmermans, and Frans Timmermans, let's go to the PvdA GroenLinks tandem. Um, and yeah, PvdA is of course another party that's uh, yeah a shadow of its former self. Uh, they currently enjoy only nine seats in Parliament. Uh, whereas they easily won, yeah, 30 plus seats, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, and the decimation of labor um, has driven them into the arms of another left-wing party, the environmentalists of GroenLinks, which uh, has eight seats right now in the Tweede Kamer. Both parties are cooperating closely in Parliament, and uh, recently they decided to team up for the provincial elections of March. Even though the two parties collectively scored level in terms of Senate seats, the combined faction did become the second largest. Uh, the unexpected departure of Rutte did mean the two parties had to act uh, fast. They expected to have, of course, two more years to um, sort out their, their new relationship. It was quickly decided they were run with a single candidate list in the upcoming election. Um, an idea that was supported by, and we're going to the Stalinistic uh, mm-hmm. percentages again, supported by 92% of Groen GroenLinks and 88% of the PvdA members. So right. quite a uh, support base there. Absolutely. Um, their combined list will be led by Frans Timmermans, we already mentioned him, uh, the, form, f- the former Foreign Affairs Minister and current uh, European Commissioner uh, for the New Green Deal, I think was is his title. I don't know what... Uh, he, he, well, he was certainly the, uh, the, the, the Vice President of the European Commission, wasn't he? He was, yeah. the, he was a dep- effectively the deputy to Ursula von der Leyen. Although yeah. Hookstar will not take on up that role because um, a Slovakian uh, commissioner whose name escapes me uh, is going to now become <laughs> the number two. It was a it was an even uh, more complicated name than Henry Bontebal, yeah, uh, yeah. and the uh, Slovakian uh, uh, commissioner. Um, von Zimmermann's leadership was supported by ninety two percent of both parties. It's really mm. crazy. Yeah, uh, but he 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 did run unopposed, I think, right? So he did, um, yeah, uh, and um, the. The, the 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 voting paper um, caused a little bit of uh, yeah uh, laughter on social media because it said uh, who do you support for uh, for the leadership yeah. um, Frans Timmermans or none of the above that right. was basically <laughs> <laughs> those were the options right. um, so yeah 92% of uh, and 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 his candidacy is uh, also quite popular because ever since he was announced um, the PvdA GroenLinks uh, ten them, the leftist cloud, as Mark Rutte would call them, yeah. um, gained in the polls, uh, and they are now slightly behind VVD and uh, the Boerburgerbeweging. So they are doing well. Yeah, Timmermans, he's one of those people that people love to uh, rant about on social media, but um, people sort of forget that he has actually got quite a good track record in elections because the, the last European elections. Uh, which was supposed to be a two-horse race between Fefede and uh, Forum for Democracy. Remember them? But they were quite big at the <laughs> time. Uh, he actually sort of sneaked up on the guardrail and overtook them both uh, as leader yeah. of the Labour Party uh, list. So, and, and now again, this has seemed to see because he's a heavyweight candidate. And I guess because he... Um, he draws, literally a heavyweight candidate. Literally a <laughs> candidate. Yes, thank you. Uh, I didn't say that. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, but, but obviously he, he appeals to Labour voters, but he also appeals to Kuhn Link's voters because, of course, he was the man who drove through 
through uh, the Green Deal in Brussels and the yep. nature conservation law. So he's got good green credentials and good Labour Party credentials. Now I come to think of it, he is like um, if you combine Sigrid Kaag and Rob Jette together. Because yeah. Sigrid Kaag's appeal was that she was a, you know, she had a, a very... Um, good record on the international stage. She 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 was a uh, a, um, a celebrated diplomat, of course. Um, and Robiette is the man who uh, is the, is the climate champion, the Dutch climate champion. And uh, uh, Frans Timmermans combines these two hmm. uh, aspects. So yeah, uh, it's yeah. possibly why Zestig are picking up no votes because. Uh all of the potential, yeah. all the people who think that the environment is the big issue, which is quite a, a substantial uh, s- section of the electorate, uh, are all uh, being drawn to Franz Timmermans. Yeah, yeah, yeah perhaps. Um, yeah, let's go to um, yeah the big newcomer, the Boerburgerbeweging. Uh, they were, of course, the big winner of the provincial elections of March. They became the biggest party in all provinces. That was has never been done before so very impressive and subsequently they also become became the biggest faction in the senate um baby bay currently has only one seat in the tweede kamer but uh i think it's fair to say that they will uh uh, uh have to find uh, some more space in uh, in p67 uh, after november uh, they are currently and some polls currently projected to be the largest party sometimes it is uh, level sometimes it's a little bit below the favorite day but yeah they can uh, we can easily say that they are heading to a landslide uh, election result um However, the election might come too soon for the Boerburgbeweging. They already had a problem finding enough candidates to fill the seats in the provincial councils. That's also probably a major problem for the Tweede Kamer election. Um, the people they you know, have um, uh, in the provincial election, they cannot combine that work with, yeah. uh, with the Tweede Kamer um, uh, work. So they've got and to find mean- more new candidates. Yeah, yeah. because you ca- they, you, they can't substitute the Tweede Kamer list with the provincial uh, councillors because there are simply not enough people to f- to fill the uh, provincial seats. So yeah. they have a m- major problem with that. And as we will mention when we talk about Omzert as well, the, m- the biggest um, trap a new party uh, has is uh, finding enough people. And if you... Um, from uh, for out of desperation just fill your seats with people you don't know, you're, you know... Uh, sooner or later you will probably find out that they're not as trustworthy yeah, as you thought sooner or, or later you're going to get an evil cheer aren't you yeah That's the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> even though well she stayed on uh, as a VVD member yeah, well, uh, you will have a LPF toestanden yeah uh, we will we, we, we always call it people that you think uh, agree with your party but you know once you uh, discuss in a room uh all the issues you you will find out that some people yeah might have completely different views than uh, you you thought. So that's always a a, a major um, uh, danger for 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 new parties that uh, yeah are growing so 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 strongly yeah. in, in a very short amount of time. Yeah, because because once MPs take their seats, they they belong to them, and the party can't yeah. remove them. So they no. can do what they want. They can split away. They can form new parties. They can do a Vipen van Hacha or whatever. And yeah. if you haven't got trustworthy people, then that is the, the danger of that happening uh, is very high. Yeah, and especially if you're projected to win 25 plus seats, you need to fill that with, 
yeah at least 25 people you uh, you can trust yeah. and yeah can they find them who knows um another problem with the Boerburgerbeweging is that we don't know who their um prime minister candidate will be mm. caroline van der plas has said uh, during the summer that she uh, does not have the ambition to become prime minister uh, she doesn't see herself in that role uh, she thinks she is a um, uh, yeah she's much more suited to be a representative uh, in parliament uh, and also and this was just a joke she doesn't like to travel or dress up uh, she doesn't mm. like <laughs> high heels uh, a lot of people took that very seriously but it yeah. was just a joke no worries um, so yeah uh, the Boerburg Beweging has been uh, saying that they will announce uh, their prime minister candidate uh, very soon, but they have been saying this for weeks now. So a lot of people are tired of that, yeah. including myself. So yeah. um, uh, we have to wait and see uh, who, uh, who who they will uh, they come up uh, with. bring forward. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, then uh, the big elephant in the room, the highly popular former CDA MP Peter Omzicht. After months of speculation, Omzicht finally announced he will run in the upcoming elections with his own party uh, called New Social Contract, or NSC. Not hmm. to be confused with NRC, the newspaper, no. or, or NSB, N- yeah. the National Socialist Party <laughs> from the Second World War. Yeah. There are going to be a lot of uh, yeah mistakes ma- being made in, uh, in the coming weeks, I yeah. think, yes. Polls have suggested for months now that if Omzicht would run with his new party, he would win the most seats in the Tweede Kamer. So now he has said that uh, he's go- he's going to run. All the polls we just mentioned yeah. can we can throw out of the window because that's the it's a major game changer. Uh, in some polls, he's even uh, projected to win 46 seats. And if you take into account that, I think the largest party right now has 26 or seven seats or so. Mm, the they, they, they got over 30, haven't they? Got 33, oh, 30, 34, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that was always a bit fanciful, wasn't it? I think um, there's been, I think, one poll has come out since he declared his uh, candidacy and he he's now on about 27 28 seats mm. um so n- n- nobody ran with the headline disaster for omsicht right but uh even though yeah. down 46 seats but i think i think i got the feeling a lot of voters wanted omsicht to be a candidate but wouldn't necessarily go and vote for him so uh in the earlier polls they kind of said yeah they, they, they backed omsicht just because they wanted to see him taking part but now he is taking yeah. part they've gone back to the party they were always going to vote for really that's my yeah, theory. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's a plausible theory, I yeah. think. Uh, Omtzigt is very careful with assembling a candidate list. Um, he yeah, is, of course, a quite an atypical MP, and a lot of people think they are a supporter of him, but um, yeah, Peter Omtzigt is really going to be careful uh, with putting names on his list. Uh, and he has already said that it's probably um, yeah, not a... Uh, he will possibly not even find enough people to 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 fill uh, his uh, his candidate list to the 46 seats. That's uh, that's uh, that's already out of the question, and uh, that brings uh, yeah a, another problem uh, uh, for it because you know if people vote for him en masse, for example, 46 seats, he only has 20 candidates. That means that 26 seats are. Uh, yeah, being thrown out out of the window, and mm. these will be di- redistributed among the other parties with with enough uh, candidates. So, yeah, that's another problem we we can see coming. Um, yeah, I already see the see the see the comments on social media calling, uh, saying this is uh, yeah, kiezersbedrog, uh, mm. you know, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. So, 
Uh, one solution he can do is uh, only run in a number of uh, Kieskringen, uh, uh, electoral districts. Um, but yeah, that's also yeah not ideal because a lot of people who want to vote for Peter Omzicht will not be able to do that because they live uh, in a uh, in a district where he is not a yeah a candidate. Yeah, um, so they'll have to sort of drive to a polling station in a different district to. to yeah, yeah, that's not Omzicht. even allowed. That's not even allowed. So. Uh, well, do yeah. you have to ask? Do you not have to ask for a polling card uh, before yeah. the election? Yeah, and you have to vote within your own district. So no, you can't. uh, You can't uh, uh, do that, unfortunately. So um, yeah, uh, yeah, we're really getting in the nitty gritty of of Dutch election laws. Uh, I I never, I never expected to 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 have to talk about uh, (laughs) electoral districts, which uh, yeah, we uh, (laughs) or rest settles, or remainder seats. But yeah, it is a novelty to hear a. uh, a candidate say, uh, I don't want to win as many seats as I've been polled, right? So they said, no, it's too many. He actually wants us to uh, cut the number uh, cut the number of... Uh, he's actively campaigning to reduce his electoral support. Yeah, yeah he says it's just irresponsible to, yeah. to, to have a new party win so many seats at once, especially because he doesn't know everyone who... Uh, who, who will be on the list as well as he uh, yeah he, he would have if this party would have uh, would have been in existence for a longer period of time so yeah again this is this is the same uh, the same problem the Bourbeurbeweging has right uh, who can you trust to uh, uh, who can you trust with a with a with a seat in parliament that's yeah. uh, that's a real question yeah and Omzicht has also said like Caroline van der Plas that he does not want to come become prime minister. Right, see, he, he yeah. wants to stay in the trade of karma. So again, he's got to find a candidate for prime minister because as much as people on social media say, oh, we don't elect prime ministers in the Netherlands, voters tend to sort of think that who the prime minister is is a big issue in the election. It's a very important factor in their decision on who to vote for. Right? Yeah, and yeah. technically we don't elect a prime minister, but, yeah. you know, um, um, when it di- when did it didn't happen that uh, the 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 largest party the the number one of the largest party did not become uh, the pr- uh, the prime minister? I don't think that the last time was 1977, right? When yeah, uh, when a coalition was formed uh, without the largest party, which is also a possibility, of course. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's um, uh, uh, um, um, yeah, you have the. Uh, constitutional law uh, uh, we will say no we don't elect the prime minister <laughs> but yeah that's in practice what we do so yeah that's uh, it's understandable that uh, that people uh, think they do yeah I think. yeah I, I just have visions of, uh, of um, Richard de Moss sitting in his office waiting for the phone to ring basically um, for the Boerburgerbeweging well, well it wouldn't be Peter Omzicht would it um, mm. yeah I don't think so, no. no. Even though Peter Omzicht is also s- sometimes described as a ombudsman politician, yes. something that uh, Richard de Moss has coined. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind knows? of a, I'll, I'll think about to Peter Omzicht actually that he doesn't, he's not known for uh, having strong views on. We, we said that the, the bigger issues at the election are things like the environment and immigration, but Omzicht's uh, manifesto or his whole. Um, political uh, interest is in kind of quite dry administrative things like um, electoral reform. You know, want to have a more kind yeah. of district-based system, or having a um, uh, having a thing uh, a, a, a constitutional court like the American Supreme Court. Uh, so yeah. it's all quite, you know, quite sort of technical political stuff. It's not really issues that uh, get voters um, fired up, uh, and yet he is extremely popular. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's a lot of uh, projection, of course. Uh, on the one hand, he is the one who uh, successfully fought against uh, Mark Rutte and his cabinet. So on the one hand, it's a protest vote. On the other hand, it's a lot of hope because, you know, he is a such a good politician, a good MP that a lot of people have trust in him. Yeah. So they also trust him uh, in, in other issues he doesn't necessarily have spoken out uh, uh, against or in favor. But he still has to work on, on, on his party manifesto, of course. Was, for example, education. What's his position on that? I have no idea. Yeah, uh, defense. Does. We don't know. So yeah, he still has to. Uh, uh, he still has to uh, work on that, and he has acknowledged that that he yeah. still doesn't have a clear party uh, uh, position on on certain uh, issues. But he's working hard on that. He said so. Um, uh, hopefully he will uh, <laughs> knowing Peter Omzicht he likes to to write enormous pieces of paper mm. uh, in the middle of the night so I, I trust that he will uh, he will have finished this party manifesto uh, fairly soon yeah he'll, yeah, and it will be very long and detailed yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I guess yeah, but, but what you say is true is that what people look to him to do is to restore trust in politics I think trust yeah. in the system and trust in the uh, political establishment is uh, is going to be an issue in this campaign um, so I mean looking uh, quickly at the polls um, you know it's all very volatile it's a very mixed picture can we sort of pick out any trends of what where things might be going what parties might do well what what, what parties might be might struggle during the campaign yeah i i think it's way too early to say that especially yeah. because peter omser just announced his his uh, uh yeah his his new party and that is of course a, a, an enormous game changer and that will uh, yeah, stir things up uh, e- enormously, I think. But yeah. um, my expectation is that the GroenLinks uh, PvdA tandem will do quite well. They are currently polled uh, uh, very well. Um, uh, uh, Frans Timmermans is a experienced politician, so he will not make uh, stupid mistakes uh, in in debates or stuff like that. Uh, so um, yeah, I think he will he will do well. Uh, the VVD might also become the largest, but. Yeah, as we've seen it now, they are all even, right? The VVD, BBB, BVDA GroenLinks and Omtzigt as well. So, yeah, who knows? Um, It's going to be interesting times. And um, I think we need to find, electorally, we need to find a new equilibrium. Yeah. uh, Because uh, Peter Omtzigt's, Mark Rutte's departure and Peter Omtzigt's entrance has stirred things up so enormously that, uh, yeah, it's... um, a new era. That's uh, I yeah. think that's clear. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I, I think the Bay 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 might uh, be heading for a bit of a fall back. Obviously, they'll still do yeah. better than the last parliamentary elections. But I think because agriculture isn't the biggest issue in the way it was during the provincial elections, also I think a lot of the voters who left who defected from the CDR to vote for the Bay Bay Bay, some of those will now switch to Omzicht. I think. And he will pick yeah. up some voters that's f- from the city. Also, if he he's going to hollow out the CDR anyway, but he'll also pick up some baby voters via the CDR or other so, way around. Yeah. So we're going to have the the. Uh paradoxical situation of baby bay winning 20 seats uh being a disappointment yes very strange <laughs> strange times yes all right we said we were we could easily talk for an hour about the new political uh situation well we almost managed to do that but yeah. we there was also more news right there is more news yeah yes well i mean it started uh, the economy um while we were away on our summer holidays it seems somebody forgot to feed the economy because uh, when we came back we discovered it slipped into recession gdp shrank by 0.4 percent in the second quarter of 2023 following a 0.3 percent contraction in the first quarter and that meets the technical definition of a recession 
Foundation. The government's official money wizards, though, seem pretty relaxed about it. Uh, Peter Hain from Mulligan, the chief economist of the statistics agency, CBS, said it's just a flu. Sorry, it's just a period of stagnation. Uh, the economy's basically stood still for the past year, he said, but the central bank still expects modest growth of 0.8% over the whole of 2023 and 1.4% next year. And what are the other reasons uh, for the uh, laid-back response? Is it that uh, they thought that uh, the economy uh, recovered uh, too fast for, uh, after Corona and it's now uh, sort of... Uh, yeah, it's sort of resting, isn't it? It's having a bit yeah. of a breather, maybe. Yeah, they have all pointed out that the Dutch economy did better than most major economies straight after coronavirus uh, in its recovery. So perhaps it's now catching up with itself. Um, lots of people uh, who'd saved money during the pandemic uh, went out and spent it afterwards. So they went on the holidays, yeah. they bought, they renovated their houses, they bought new cars. That obviously doesn't apply to everybody. Lots of people didn't save money during lockdown. In fact, uh, if you owned a bar, you probably ran up big debts and you got subsidies from the government you're now going to have to repay but anyway i digress um and of course people have also been hit by massive inflation interest rate hikes so yeah. i think social inequality has grown a lot since uh, in the last couple of years but generally the jobs market's been holding up uh, unemployment is uh, at a fairly low three and a half percent and it went down slightly in the second quarter wages have been rising uh, because of the strong collective bargaining so uh, remember in the last year there's been quite a few strikes and uh, quite uh, combative oh, yeah. Pay negotiations; those have been all, all been resolved, and uh, generally workers have been given quite generous uh, deals. In fact, I think the Netherlands is one of the very few countries where, even when you adjust for inflation, wages have actually grown in the last year, despite very big inflation. Mm. And the housing market's been holding up despite predictions of a slump. House prices are down by around four percent in the last year, and when you factor in inflation, that's actually about ten percent in real terms. But that follows a couple of years of double-digit rises, so only people who bought houses recently will really feel it. And the latest news from the estate agents association, NVM, is that both house prices and the number of transactions went up in the second quarter, so the market seems to be recovering there as well. So we're all feeling the pinch here, or are some people worse off than others? Well, I mean, the details suggest it's a very mixed picture and the decline is concentrated in heavy industry. So these are companies that consume mm. a lot of energy. So they were hit by the spike in fuel costs last year and they also rely on exports and exports are down because of the global slowdown. So the amount of goods and services sold by manufacturers was down by 7.5% in the second quarter after two years of growth, but sales abroad were down 10%. And uh, refineries and chemical companies, they also saw their sales fall by 28%. So that's uh, very much weighed down the numbers. At the other end of the scale, the car sector and the repair and service sector all grew by around 20%. So big contrasts, basically, in the figures. And then we also had a regional breakdown from the CBS, which I thought was interesting because the standout figure there was that Kroninger's GDP was down by 13%. 13? 13, 13%. Yeah, oh, wow. but that's mainly because they've decommissioned the gas field. So the yeah. biggest source of income in Kroninger has vanished, basically. And they've done that for very good reasons, because you know of the earthquakes and the massive destruction in the region. They've sensibly decided they don't want to do that anymore. But that has had a big immediate impact on the size of Kroninger's economy. When you take the gas field out of the equation, Kroninger's GDP has shrunk by 1%, okay. which is in line with most of the other provinces, which are up or down by around 1%. And that fits in with uh, Van Mulliken's uh, interpretation of a period of stagnation rather than a hard recession. Yeah. 
Okay, and uh, what's the uh, government going to plan to do about this? Can they do anything? Not a great deal because they don't have a mandate anymore. They are in a demissionary state uh, and the budget's coming up, of course, at the end of this month. Yeah. But there won't be any big spending plans because there can't be. Although past experience indicates that that can sometimes be a good thing for the economy in the short term because the government doesn't uh, allocate lots of money to spend. We just quietly keep on filling up the coffers with, with, with tax money. All right. And uh, how is the sector of uh, overpriced electrical bikes doing? Yeah, well, that, that seems to be vanishing, of course, mm. uh, because they, uh, the, the insurer companies, they won't insure fat bikes anymore because they're getting stolen so much. So the, the black market in bicycles, I think, must be the biggest sector in the economy right now. Yeah, right after cocaine imports. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I imagine they're probably exporting e-bikes in huge containers <laughs> of cocaine because they never get checked. Yes. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky paid the Netherlands a surprise visit on Sunday. He was welcomed by Prime Minister Mark Rutte and members of the cabinet at the Eindhoven Air Force Base. That's a highly symbolic location because that's also where the 297 bodies of the MH17 victims arrived after the plane was shut down over eastern Ukraine by Russian-backed separatists using a book missile in uh, 2014. Rutte announced during the visit that the Netherlands will deliver F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. The Royal Dutch Air Force owns 42 F-16s, of which 24 are currently in operation. Rutte didn't specify how many fighter jets will be handed over, but the Ukrainian Defense Ministry was under the impression it will be all 42. Hmm. The Dutch F-16 fleet is in the process of being replaced by F-35s and will only be released after replacement is completed in order to fulfill NATO duties. Until then, the Netherlands will train Ukrainian pilots and technical staff, which uh, may take until late 2024, which coincides with the point in time the Dutch Defense Ministry expects it will be ready for the handover. So F-16s to Ukraine, but not yet. Yeah, we're going to give them at some point in the in the near future. Yeah. Um, it's qu- quite depressing, though, because at the end of 2024, uh, that means that everyone expects the war to last until then, right? Yeah, well, it looks like at the, the speed at which uh, things are moving, it looks as if it uh, very much will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and Denmark is also giving some of their F-16s to Ukraine, and a handful of their planes will be ready a bit sooner, maybe even towards the end of this year, right? Because they're also doing this transition to F-35s. Yes. But faster. And uh, the British are uh, are teaching the Ukrainian pilots uh, English. Uh, yes. So that's their role. That's good, yeah. So they, they all sound like sort of uh, characters in Second World War fighter pilot movies, right? Yeah. So, Chocks away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully the Ukrainian F-16s will not uh, crash in the Isomir. No. The Tweede Kamer is being hollowed out faster than the Wagner aircraft fleet, but you can rest assured that this podcast will be here till the bitter end. And that's all thanks to you, the wonderful patrons who support us through thick and thin with your messages of support, your likes on Twitter, and of course, your money. And if you're not already a sponsor of the podcast, you can become one for as little as a euro, a dollar, or a pound a month on Patreon. Your donations help us to keep putting in the hours to research, record and distribute these podcasts. And in return, you'll get a bonus shout out, our eternal gratitude and the chance to ask us a question. We've got uh, two new patrons to welcome since the last episode in July. Uh, First, uh, Dennis von Winkel, 
who uh, hmm. says, uh, he doesn't say where he's from, but uh, obviously somewhere across the pond, I think. Uh, he says, I have Dutch or possibly Belgian ancestry and began learning Dutch during COVID. Uh, it's a fun language, he says, okay, but it's hard to learn <laughs> without speaking partners. And since then, he's become something yeah. of a nedophile. Uh, I particularly oh, enjoy oh, watching. What? Yes, a, a nedophile, he said. Oh, uh, wow. That's a disgusting <laughs> word. <laughs> well, I'm not going to judge Dennis for it. Um, no, uh, no, no, no. Uh, he says he particularly enjoys watching uh, what few Dutch programs he can find on Netflix and uh, other streaming platforms. All I can say here is uh, if you see a film called Het Bombardement advertised, don't watch it. <laughs> no, don't do that. The Bombardment, I think it's called in, yeah. uh, in, uh, in Dutch, right? Yeah. So, uh, or, in, or in English. Van Winkel, I think uh, you have ancestors from North Holland uh, oh. because there is a tiny village in North Holland. I think it's between Horen and Den Helder, something like that, right? Almost in the tip called Winkel. Right. Um, so that would make sense, I think. Uh, it's very small, but uh, you can uh, search it on, on Google Maps if you haven't already. Winkel with uh, E-L, so not L-E, which no. I think is the anglicized uh, version of his name. Yeah. So thank you, Dennis, for your support. And uh, yes. thank you as well to uh, Antonella, um, uh, who uh, goes by the name of uh, Crimson Rodeo and it describes herself as uh, half Italian, half South African, grew up in Switzerland. Hmm. Uh, moved to the Netherlands almost seven years ago, originally for a gap year, but uh, yeah, liked it so much I stayed and uh, uh, have no plans to leave uh, anytime soon. So uh, yeah, you're stuck with us and we're stuck with you and uh, <laughs> we're very happy to, be, uh, to have your support. So thank you very much. Uh, Antonella also says she enjoyed was kayaking and natural wine so uh, i think there's, there's a kind of quite growing organic wine industry in the in the netherlands they're not down in limburg somewhere yeah limburg yeah. i think also gelderland even yeah. flavorland i think has some uh, vineyards if i remember correctly how do you get vineyards in flavorland yeah i don't know yeah. i don't think it's uh, i wouldn't advise to drink too <laughs> too much of that or anything to to be honest but uh, i will i will fact check this for really quick Right, okay. Yeah. And Antonella says, uh, signs off saying, thank you for all your hard work. Very much appreciated. Yeah. You guys are killing it. Um, I'd like to say that I've not been killing anything over the summer in spite of uh, uh, my um, pr promises to do unspeakable things with bicycle keys. I'd just like to <laughs> clear that up. And once again, uh, thank you to both of you and to all our patrons for your continued support. And I hope you'll continue to back us during this uh, yeah, eventful election campaign that's coming up. Any news on the Flavorland wine? Yes, there is indeed Flavorland wine, so okay. uh, it, it exists. There is, there is wine from Almere. Okay. If you'd like to become a podcast patron, log on to www.patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash DutchNewsNL. It emerged this week that the Belgian pharmaceutical company Janssen, yes, we're calling them Belgian now, <laughs> is to shut most of its infectious disease control and vaccine development unit in Leiden, the latest casualty of the coronavirus vaccine, it would seem. <laughs> in 2021, midway through the coronavirus pandemic, frilly shoe-wearing health minister Hugo de Jonge championed the one-shot Janssen vaccine as the ultimate party drug and the gateway to a summer of festivals. Unfortunately, the Dunson met Janssen campaign precipitated a huge spike in infections uh, because uh, yeah, he didn't advise people to give it uh, 72 hours for the vaccine to actually take effect. And so everyone infected each other in nightclubs and the use of the vaccine was quietly phased out in the following months as the Netherlands endured a second winter lockdown. And now the party is well and truly over for Janssen, which is part of Johnson & Johnson, and it's turned 2,500 strong workforce in Leiden. 
It's unclear how many jobs will be lost, but around a quarter of the staff work in the vaccine unit. The decision still has to be vetted by the Works Council, but the company says it wants to focus on treatments for cancer, heart disease and retinal conditions. Yeah, I uh, I had a uh, Janssen vaccine, so... Uh, hmm. And you're yeah. still alive, so... I'm still alive, yeah. so uh, thanks to Hugo de Jonge. So, yeah, um, yeah great. But I thought they... Um, it was quite a renowned um, uh, yeah, vaccine producer. Um, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, I think they were sort of um, uh, damaged by the association with this whole uh, Dunson med Janssen thing in the end. Mm, as ever. Yeah, uh, could be. Something that Hugo de Jonge touched and turned to mush. Reversed Midas touch. Yes. Yeah, he also touched, of course, uh, the CDR leadership at one point. Indeed, yeah, uh, look what's happened there. A Jewish member of the Dutch resistance during World War II has finally been identified by army experts more than 80 years after his death, thanks to DNA research via Australia. Bernard Luzer was shot dead by the German occupying forces in 1943 and had been buried in an unmarked grave at the military cemetery in Lunen since 2013. Lusa was a member of the Dutch Communist Party, CPN, and the People's Militia, NVM. He was arrested in November 1942 at the clothing factory where he worked and sentenced to death for incitement and circulating the illegal newspaper De Waarheid. Lusa was shot along with four others in Hoofddorp, where the bodies were found buried in 1945. Three of those who were killed had already been identified. Although researchers had suggested earlier the fourth body could be that of Lusa, it has only now been formally confirmed. The discovery of a nephew, the son of Lusa's sister, who had emigrated to Australia after the war, proved to be the breakthrough researchers had hoped for. But the nephew was only found by chance when a researcher recognized the name in an email exchange. In total, the investigation has taken uh, uh, 12 years, according to identification experts uh, NOS spoke to. Yeah. So uh, quite a nice story. Uh, Lusa, I I think that's uh, not a typical uh, surname, no. So finding relatives uh, should have been easy, I think. But um, they only found a a nephew uh, or a cousin uh, literally at the other side of the globe. Yeah, uh, more or less by chance. It's quite amazing. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's quite amazing that uh, this this research took them all the way around the other side of the world and they managed to match the DNA. And it's also nice that after 80 years... People are still involved in identifying victims of the of of the Nazis. Uh, yeah. it's uh, it's very reassuring that uh, we're still doing everything we can to um, give everyone a, a a proper burial and uh, to find out who these victims are. It's uh, it's really reassuring and uh, related to this, I think right now in the IJsselmeer. Uh, there is a group of uh, naval archaeologists exhuming a, a, a crashed um, Lancaster bomber, yeah. uh, also from 1943. There are believed to be still uh, some uh, remains of, of, of the pilots and of the crew um, inside that aircraft. And, and there are a, a number of, of uh, English bombers still uh, at the bottom of the Meer, And the government has uh, put aside some money to uh, yeah, to uh, recover uh, most of them. So that's very reassuring. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy with that. Yeah, and it's amazing, actually, even though these people died now, we're getting on for 80 years ago, sometimes more than 80 years ago, you still see when you speak to their relatives, their children, who themselves are often quite elderly now, or their grandchildren, or their, or, or their nephews and nieces, but when you actually formally identify these people and you can actually say definitively what happened to them you see the real relief on their faces and the sense of closure it's still really important to people yeah 
Finally, sports news, and Dutch athletes have been falling over themselves to claim medals at the World Championships in Budapest. That's a bit of a problem, because one of the most important things you have to do to win races is stay on your feet. But on Sunday night, it uh, somehow went wrong twice in the space of 20 minutes, leaving spectators and commentators perplexed. First, Sifan Hassan, the favourite for the 10,000 metres title, went sprawling in the last 30 metres of the final as he jostled with uh, Gudaf Tsege of Ethiopia. And then Famke Boll, again one of the most prominent Dutch athletes, took a tumble a few strides from the finish line in the 4x400m mixed relay. And unfortunately the baton flew out of her hand and that meant that mm. it didn't finish the race at all because you have to get the baton round in a relay. Yeah. Hassan made amends on Tuesday with a bronze medal in the 1500m before Boll stormed to the 400m hurdles title on Thursday night, um, finishing more than a second ahead of the rest of the field. And that was the Netherlands' first gold medal in the uh, World Athletics Championships. Hassan will get the chance to add a second and complete her rehabilitation in the final of the 5,000 metres on Saturday. And worth saying, all joking aside, I mean, see if I have Hassan this year now. She's won the London Marathon and got a bronze medal in 1,500 metres, which I just think is mind-boggling. Yeah, two completely different uh, distances. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that someone can excel in uh, in 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 both uh, yeah short distances and such and, and marathons yeah it's uh, yeah. amazing absolutely amazing yeah other athletics medals have come from Anouk Fetter in the heptathlon she won a bronze and there were near misses for Jorinda van Klinken who was fourth in the women's discus final and Lika Klaver who finished fifth in the 400 meters in the men's events the outstanding performer so far has been Niels Laros who set a national record in the 1500 meters final at the age of 18 uh, though he finished tenth. But still, a very fast time and a real future ahead of him, I think. Yes, very impressive. And a little less impressive is that the football season also started, right? I'm afraid so, yeah. Um, And there's been lots of European action this week as well. Uh, Four clubs involved in the playoffs for the uh, European competitions. Uh, Firstly, in the Champions League, PSV, who were in the playoff round, they drew two all against Rangers in Glasgow. That was a repeat of the scoreline last year. Uh, hmm. strangely on Tuesday night that gives them a fairly good chance of reaching the Champions League group stages uh, the Rangers went ahead twice PSV's second equaliser was a kind of scuffed header by Luke de Jong but uh, they all count and so they'll now be hoping that uh, there isn't a repeat of last year's second leg when um, uh, PSV gave away a very cheap goal and lost 1-0 in the Conference League, early return to the Netherlands for Dusan Tadic. He left Ajax in the summer after five seasons, most of them as captain, and was expected to join Turkish league side Besiktas, but at the last minute he was poached by their Istanbul rivals Fenerbahce. So a bit of Oppef in Turkey for Dusan Tadic. Uh, Fenerbahce were then drawn against FC Twente in the Conference League playoff round, uh, and after a fairly uh, combative first half, um, which finished one all, Twente had a player sent off right at the end of the first half, and Fenerbahce then ended up winning 5-1 so they're basically through Ajax Tadic's old club uh, had a, um, a similarly impressive scoreline in Bulgaria they beat uh, Ludogorets 4-1 in the Europa League playoffs so they're probably going to go mm. through Mohamed Kudus scored a hat-trick but he might well be off to West Ham later on this month uh, he's uh, been lots of speculation about transfers for him and uh, in the other Conference League uh, playoff match Azet drew one all at home to Bran of Norway so that's very much in the balance. All the second leg matches are playing next week. And in the Eredivisie, uh, there are four teams who've won the opening two matches. Not title uh, defenders Feyenoord, who've uh, yet to win a match, but uh, AZ, Twente, PSV and Heerenveen all have six points. 
Yeah, that's um, the start of the Eredivisie always uh, brings the interesting, um, you know, top five, right? The, yeah. the clubs you you don't necessarily expect uh, so high can uh, can all of a sudden be a number one. Which, yeah, uh, there's, there's always one club that either gets an easy fixture list or just has a good uh, burst of form at the start of the season and gets the top. So, yeah, good to see Heerenveen up there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and Zandvoort is uh, shutting down for the Dutch Grand Prix. <laughs> yes, the, the most inaccessible venue in motorsport is gearing up for the annual traffic jam that is the Dutch Grand Prix. Um, yeah, it, always, it seems ridiculous that a, a town with only two access roads uh, gets to host a major sporting event. But anyway, it yeah. literally has two access roads. It's not even ex- an exaggeration. No, and there's one at each end, and they're both closed to traffic. And so unless you've got a residence permit, you can't drive in and out of Zandvoort. Or a VIP yeah. permit. Or a VIP permit, of course. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, people would be advised either take the train, take the bus, or go on your bike to the celebration of motorsport, which I always quite enjoy. Uh, on the track, uh, Max Verstappen is just miles ahead of his rivals this year. He's won 10 out of the 12 races this season, and it will be a colossal shock if he fails to win his home race. I think even if he falls over, somehow he will still win the race, um, basically, so far ahead. Yeah, even if he loses the uh, the relay uh, stick, then yeah, uh, he still yeah. he will still win. Yes, no. The championship is not that interesting this year, no. No, it's kind of fun. To see it. I remember two years ago when it was the, fir- the return of the Dutch Grand Prix after what's 30 odd years everyone's really excited about it and said so, and the question is will Max Verstappen win and now people are kind of I mean the hardcore race fans will I'm sure enjoy it very much but uh, there's a general sense as well Verstappen's going to win anyway and yep. it's uh, not particularly exciting in the race for second place the sort of former world champions Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton will hope to make up ground on uh, Verstappen's teammate Sergio Perez in the uh, battle for a very distant second place in the championship yeah and um, I believe the climate protesters have already said they will uh, try to uh, interfere with the uh, with the Grand Prix um, either on Saturday or on Sunday. And also the Zandvoort taxi drivers are also, uh, or the Haarlem t- taxi drivers are uh, rebelling because uh, they have found out that uh, other taxi companies have also uh, gotten permits to Ooh, drive to Zandvoort. So, yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, we can expect uh, a lot of drama off track. Yeah, the festival of road rage. And yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, something to look forward to. And I'm still looking forward to uh, uh, seeing uh, Daniel Ricciardo playing with uh, stroopwafels oh, yeah. and the curved uh, kombocht. What's that? Uh, the, the banked bends, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, he's been rolling them down the hills. Yeah, to it? test the inclination, oh, okay. uh, to see how, uh, yeah, how steep the inclination is. So, uh, yeah. He's yeah. been doing that for the past two years, and he is, of course, he has returned to uh, to Formula One uh, recently um, instead of Nick de Vries, and uh, who was he was Dutch, of course, by the yeah. way. So uh, very sad for Nick de Vries that he uh, will not be able to drive at uh, his home circuit. But uh, yeah, ha- I'm happy for uh, for Ricciardo that he can. Uh, and eat his uh, his uh, stop waffles again. Yeah, and you're happy for the stop waffle industry as well. Yeah, which will get yeah. a real boost from that. Yeah. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, and you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a shout-out and uh, our ongoing gratitude. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Darach, and we'll be back next week.
as she was going to Hilversum, uh, she was called off because uh, Prigozhin was uh, exactly, shot yeah, down. Yeah. <laughs> she was cancelled for, for Prigozhin, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then she she said on, on Twitter that, oh, I could have talked about that easily as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Fuck you. It's Fuck fine. You. We don't need you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>